So hi, welcome to the first episode of Shrinking Stigma, a podcast aimed at addressing some of the myths and misconceptions surrounding the profession of psychiatry. My name is Dr. Jonathan Dornian, and I'm a psychiatry resident at the University of Calgary. I'm here with one of the podcast co-creators, Dr. Sheila Acharya. Other individuals who are involved are staff psychiatrist, Dr. Lisa Harper, and another resident colleague, Dr. Jalen Arcand. Before we get into a topic, Sheila, can you explain a bit more about what we're hoping to accomplish? So the whole idea behind Shrinking Stigma was to create an educational podcast geared towards the general public. As frontline workers in mental health, seeing patients in emergency departments, hospitals, and clinics, our colleagues and us have noticed a lack of public awareness in the basics of mental health practice and the role of psychiatry. We aim to address myths and realities, controversies, current events, and general knowledge in the field. So far, we've received funding to produce 10 episodes, each addressing a specific topic. We're hoping to develop a resource that we can direct patients and the public towards to learn more about psychiatry, or at least make something interesting to listen to. Just a reminder that this is an educational podcast and it's no replacement for advice that you get from your own physician. And personally, I'm just hoping to develop a resource to refer friends and family to so I would have to stop answering questions about what I do for a living. That too. We'd also like to recognize and extend a massive thanks to the Alberta Medical Association for graciously funding this project. I'd also like to thank all the physicians and patients I've worked with who have helped me develop as a clinician. With those introductions out of the way, I'd like to move on to some content. The first topic we'd like to discuss in the series is, what actually is psychiatry? And that is a great question, Jonathan. So, Wikipedia says that psychiatry is the medical specialty devoted to the diagnosis, prevention, and treatment of mental disorders. These include various maladaptions related to mood, behavior, cognition, and perceptions. Well, that sounds about right. I think we could probably end the podcast right now. Well, let me tell you why you should care. According to the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, one in five Canadians experience a mental illness or addiction problem in any given year. At the age of 40, one in two Canadians have or have had a mental illness. And nearly everyone gets the sniffles or a cold each year, so what's the big deal? Well, mental illness is a major cause of disability and has profound implications for both the health of individual sufferers and Canada as a whole. In recent research involving data from over one million patients, those suffering from mental illness were more likely to die prematurely and had estimated life expectancy of 10 to 20 years less than non-affected individuals. This includes death by suicide as well as other causes. In regards to suicide specifically, over 4,000 Canadians commit suicide each year. In the age group of 15 to 24 year olds, it is the second leading cause of death next to accidental trauma. Economically, the estimated burden of healthcare costs and lost productivity is approximately $51 billion per year in Canada. Each week, over 500,000 Canadians are unable to work due to mental health problems. Those are eye-popping statistics. 
So I'm curious then, I think we need to get back to explaining what psychiatry is and what psychiatrists do. Well, again, psychiatry is a medical specialty that focuses on the treatment of mental illness. Examples of more commonly known things that we treat are things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and personality disorders. Behind each of these disorders is an interplay between the neurochemistry in an individual's brain, the psychology of their thought process, and their surrounding environment. Things like childhood trauma, interpersonal relationships, socioeconomic status, educational enrichment, employment, and social supports or isolation are just some of the factors that can contribute. The actual classification of disorders we treat is significantly more complicated than what I mentioned, and we can discuss some further details in a later episode. One of the most common questions I get asked is, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Many people are surprised to learn that I had to complete medical school. Can you speak more about this, Sheila? Well, yes, that is a common misunderstanding. I've seen that firsthand as well. Psychiatry is a medical field that involves prescribing medications, giving potentially invasive procedures, and the interplay between the mind and other body systems. All psychiatrists will have completed a general medical degree prior to their specialization for that specific reason. There is a physiological basis behind many of the diseases we treat, and our medical knowledge is necessary to know how best to target these, as well as how our medications work. Also, because we have the privilege of being able to prescribe medications with potential side effects, it is incredibly important to have general medical knowledge that can be applied to an individual specific situation. For example, if I'm working in emergency and I have an incredibly agitated patient, ruling out a significant medical condition is important prior to the use of powerful medications that can potentially exacerbate other medical problems and can be dangerous if we don't know about the patient's medical conditions in the first place. So all psychiatrists have a medical degree, just like all other specialties in medicine. Another use of our medical education is recognizing so-called organic versus non-organic causes of mental illness. In this case, the term organic is referring to an underlying medical or physical disease that is leading to symptoms of mental illness. For example, there are many illnesses that can mimic psychiatric disorders. We need to make sure we consider these, or rule them out, before making a psychiatric diagnosis. For example, a patient may present with numerous symptoms of depression like low mood, low energy, weight changes, poor concentration, but they may actually have a low-functioning thyroid, or what we call hypothyroidism. Similarly, low hemoglobin counts, or anemia, as is seen in iron deficiency, can produce a similar picture. In this case, if we attempt to treat their depression with therapy, or antidepressants, we're completely missing the boat. So to be clear, instead, if a person has a thyroid problem, we'd give them thyroid hormone or correct their anemia if it was anemia problem. Then we'd consult with other medical specialties as needed. Exactly. A more dramatic example in pop culture was recently demonstrated in the critically successful sorry, autobiographical book Brain on Fire by Susan Callahan. 
there was also a much less critically successful movie adaptation. Anyhow, the book recollects the author's experience with a rare neurologic disorder called NMDA receptor encephalitis. It's certainly a mouthful. A hallmark of the disease is an association with fairly dramatic psychiatric symptoms, such as hallucinations, delusions, and mood disturbances. The author was a successful young journalist at the New York Post who became progressively more paranoid and delusional. This drastically affected her relationships, crippled her performance at work, and led to several hospital visits. Before receiving the correct diagnosis of NMDA receptor encephalitis, she was given several psychiatric diagnoses, including both schizophrenia and bipolar disease. Obviously, she didn't improve until she received the right diagnosis and treatment. As psychiatrists, we need to be able to recognize mental manifestations of organic illness so that our patients receive proper treatment. And as you all may be thinking, this is starting to get a bit complicated. And that's why I've been in post-secondary education for my entire adult life. So Sheila, where does psychology fit in? Well, they also go to school for a really long time and often help people with mental health problems. A doctor in psychology has completed a doctor of philosophy, or PhD. They obtain a PhD, which typically takes six years after completion of undergraduate education. Psychologists in Alberta can also become registered and practice with a master's degree. Psychologists study how people think, feel, and behave using scientifically validated principles and procedures in order to help people understand, explain, and change their behavior. They provide structured assessment and treatment of people of all ages. Assessment may be for cognitive functioning, academic functioning, personality, or neuropsychological reasons. Many psychologists provide psychotherapy and behavioral interventions to treat target symptoms. Psychologists in Canada do not prescribe medications. In contrast, Psychiatrists will use medications in addition to these other tools. Some psychiatrists are very focused and adept with psychotherapy tools that psychologists are trained in, while others will focus more specifically on medication management and refer patients to psychologists for further therapy. An argument can also be made that psychology involves the study of the science of behavior and mind, whereas psychiatry is more medically oriented and focus on behaviors and symptoms that are so pathologic that they can be considered illness. Ultimately, both professions have similar goals in helping individuals with their mental health and very often work together in a multidisciplinary setting. Maybe we could bring a psychologist on a a later episode to talk more about that. Maybe. Our specialty is so fascinating that there's no shortage of things that we could potentially talk about in later episodes. But now, Jonathan, can you speak a bit more about the education process for becoming a psychiatrist? Well, as I mentioned previously, all psychiatrists attend medical school. Previous to this, the majority of people in the profession will have completed an undergraduate degree as well. There's a few individuals who end up in medicine with only a few years completed of an undergraduate degree, but they're quite rare as you generally need fairly exceptional marks, great life experiences, and maybe a bit of luck. On the other end of the spectrum, 
It's becoming more and more common to have some sort of postgraduate degree as well, such as a master's degree or a PhD. Following completion of medical school, which is generally four years, psychiatrists in Canada must complete a minimum of five years residency training before they can become a full-fledged psychiatrist. What's a residency and what does it actually entail? Well, residency is the specific training program for different specialties of medicine to be completed following medical school. Though all residents are MDs, they have to work under some form of supervision by a fully licensed physician. In our cases, a psychiatrist. It can be thought of in some ways as a really long practicum or apprenticeship. As psychiatry residents, we focus on psychiatry, and we rotate through some of the different sub-disciplines such as adult inpatient, child and adolescent, geriatrics, and more. Early in our residency, we also rotate through a number of non-psychiatric specialties to gain experience relevant to our field that is not specifically under the domain of psychiatry. We rotate through family medicine, internal medicine, emergency medicine, pediatrics, neurology, and any number of possible electives, such as things like palliative care or chronic pain, just to name a few. So once we're finally finished residency, does that mean we're done training? Well, sometimes. More and more physicians are pursuing what is called fellowship training, in which they further subspecialize following the completion of their residency. Examples of psychiatric areas in which this can be done are child and adolescent, geriatrics, forensics, and addictions. Furthermore, after finishing residency training, we are regulated provincially by the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta and nationally by the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. These organizations regulate our specialty status and require us to complete ongoing education in the field while we still practice. So, John, do you think you'll finish training before your non-medicine colleagues retire? Well, I'm not sure. But now that we know a bit more about what psychiatry actually is, can we move on to what a psychiatrist actually does? Now, that's something that could fill a few books. Initially, even I was pretty unclear on that. I went into psychiatry with the expectation that I would be like Freud. Maybe wear a monocle, swing a pocket watch... Well, there's an incredible scope and variance between what different psychiatrists' days look like. But the simplest way to describe our work is that, number one, we assess patients. Number two, we provide a diagnosis. And number three, we treat mental disorders. It's not particularly different from any other medical field when you explain it that way. Assessment and diagnosis are particularly linked together. Treatment can be in the form of any number of psychotherapeutic interventions or biologic interventions such as medicine, electroconvulsive therapy, or the new burgeoning TMS. Whoa, you still use electroconvulsive therapy? Yes, we do. It is a well-established treatment for a small segment of the population, and we'll have a later episode talking about that because it tends to freak people out. Shocking. I'm amped for the discussion of this electrifying topic. Oh, John, you are so funny. (laughs) That was a terrible joke. (laughs) Anyhow, initial assessment typically occurs over the course of a 50 to 60 minute interview, but we'll further 
be refined with any follow-up with the patient. The interview tries to establish the patient's story, pick out specific symptoms of various mental disorders, and establish a background, medical, psychiatric, and social history. From this assessment, we are trying to establish a diagnosis for what a patient is experiencing. In some cases, there isn't a diagnosis. And how do you figure out if somebody fits a diagnosis? Do you make it up? Does it depend on how you feel that day? Well, as psychiatry has advanced as a field, we've come up with a number of criteria sets for various disorders, such as depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and many others. These criteria include specific symptom clusters, fit specific lengths of time, and contain various exclusion criteria as well. The idea is that by having detailed diagnostic criteria, there would be less variability in diagnoses coming from practitioners of psychiatry. For example, an individual with schizophrenia may present similarly to someone suffering from depression with psychotic features, but the treatments are quite different. Having detailed criteria that helps practitioners effectively differentiate between conditions leads to more diagnostic accuracy and effective treatment. These criteria are listed in the DSM-5, which stands for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Now, I should say that even though it's boring, it is important. As you may have guessed by the number, it's now on its fifth iteration. Every number of years, an updated version will be published containing updated criteria sets based on new develops, developments in the field of psychiatry. Criteria are altered based on large committees involving various experts in their respective fields. It's remarkably hard to change and serves as the diagnostic backbone of our profession. Within the DSM, the information is organized with a biopsychosocial perspective, meaning that it tries to consider biological factors such as genetic predisposition and brain chemistry, the psychology of an individual's thought process, and social factors such as their current or birth environments, social supports, or educational enrichment. Based on diagnosis, we then follow treatment standards and guidelines that are set by a profession based on the best scientific evidence for treatment. So I guess to summarize, psychiatrists assess patients with an initial interview, apply a diagnosis if applicable using criteria established in the DSM-5, and then treat using a multifaceted approach of biological and psychological interventions. You got it. That's the one-liner. Perfect. So let's summarize what else we've talked about today. Psychiatry is the medical specialty devoted to the diagnosis, prevention, and treatment of mental disorders. These mental disorders are a major cause of morbidity and mortality in Canada with profound economic implications. Psychiatrists have first completed general medical degrees to address the biological components of mental illness as well as consider alternative medical diagnoses when an individual presents with signs and symptoms of a mental disorder. There are numerous branches of psychiatry, including child and adolescent, geriatrics, and forensics that require subspecialty training, which is usually another two years on top of the five-year residency. 
So we're now up to almost at least 15 years of post-secondary education. We use a big book called the DSM-5 to evaluate if patients meet criteria for a certain disorder and following assessment, aim to treat patients through both biological and psychological means. Easy? Well, not really. We can end it there. Anyhow, please subscribe to the remainder of our podcast or check out other episodes if you find them interesting. You can also check out our website at shrinkingstigma.com for references for the topics we discussed today. Thanks again.